You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. If you missed last week, we had a tremendous time. We talked about blessing versus curse. And last night, we were still praying for people because of that message. Came forward and said, you know what? I want prayer. I need prayer in this area. Curse wasn't as much as somebody just swearing at you. Curse is when somebody dams up the potential that you have by words spoken over your life, by things they did, abuse or whatever, and it really became a curse over your life that you didn't live to your potential. Last week we spoke about how God wants a blessing over your life and how the blessing comes through the father, through the mom, through family, friends, and he said, bless, don't curse. I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose blessing. And so if you missed that, it's on the podcast. Go back and get that. It's a great part of our series, Living in the Upside-Down Kingdom. Today we're going to talk about my way versus God's way. And if we follow God's way, our future gets brighter, not just for us, but for our family. How many have been watching the Olympics? Anybody else besides me liking the Olympics? Good number of your hands going out there. Uh, I... Watched part of the fireworks last night, then turned on the TV, wanted to catch the Olympic highlights. And uh, by this Phelps guy, what, a, what an athlete. I was just blown away by the number of medals he has won. And then we watched the women running the 100-meter race, and uh, that was an incredible race. This Jamaican uh, lady had won that race, and she just was so excited to win the gold. And she, when she fell down after winning the race, she, you can just see her mouthing the word, thank you, Jesus. It was just an incredible race. And, and then watching people get up on the podium, they put the gold medal around their neck necks, and you know, there's hearing their national anthem played, and just the emotion of it. You go down in history when you win a gold medal. You're always remembered when you win a gold medal, and uh, everybody gets pretty excited. Jamaica was excited yesterday, and other countries are excited. Uh, apparently, we won a gold medal on Saturday. We're excited about that. 1988, Canada won a gold medal in the 100-meter race, it, Seoul Olympics, and our runner was a fellow by the name of Ben Johnson. And uh, it was headline news all across Canada for a couple of days. It was the majority of the paper talked about Ben Johnson and the incredible race that he ran. Broke all the records, did it in 9.79 seconds. And it was exciting for two days. And after two days, it was, it was different. The Toronto Sun had on the front page a picture of Ben Johnson with two words and a question mark. It was this, why, Ben? Why did you do it? Why did you give in to steroids and the rest of it? Why did you do it? And because of that, the medal was stripped from him. There's talk of taking the Order of Canada away from him. His destiny, his future was forever affected because of a short-term, short-sighted appetite for gain. So that's where we're going to go this morning. In order to start talking about my way versus God's way, we have to establish this key fact. God's way is found in a respect and worship for Him. If we have no respect for God and spiritual things, we have no desire to choose His way over our own short-sighted ways. Our way is typically driven by our own temporal appetites. And so in order to choose God's way, you have to have a reverence and a worship for God. If you have no passion for God, if you're not interested in spiritual things, it doesn't even make sense to choose His way. Of course you'll just do it your way. But if you want to do it God's way, it starts by a reverence, by a fear of God. This is the beginning of wisdom. We read quite a bit about that in Proverbs. I just picked one verse, Proverbs 9, 10. It's in your notes. 
or again, you can scan uh, the bulletin with the QR code, and it'll come up on your, on your phone. But Proverbs 9.10 says this, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in understanding. Now, the Hebrew word for wisdom distinguishes it from knowledge because a person can have a mind full of facts, but you lack authentic wisdom. You can go on the Internet, and you can Google something today, and in about 0.56 seconds, it'll give you pages and pages of information on something. But information isn't wisdom. We have more information today than we have ever had. We have more Bibles, more translations of Bibles. We have more things that we can know, but it doesn't necessarily make us better. Information only informs. Wisdom transforms. It changes the form of something. It changes the form of your family. It changes the form of your business. Wisdom changes your form. It transforms you. But knowledge by itself won't do that. You need wisdom with it. Now, wisdom starts with the fear of God. With I respect you. I worship you, Lord. I am in awe of you. I am so in awe of you, God. I want to do it your way. And if we're not in so awe of God that we're not even interested in His way, of course we won't do it His way. But this is the beginning. This piece has to be in place if we want to do it God's way. If we have no respect for God, if we're not interested in spiritual things, if we don't have an eternal perspective, if we're short-sighted, we won't choose God's ways. If we have an eternal perspective, Paul said, set your mind on the things above. Set your mind on heaven. Have a bigger picture. That is so key to having wisdom and choosing God's ways. Number two, God's way, if you're following along, God's way seems foolish if there's no spiritual perspective. You remember the song that Paul Anker wrote? He wrote it actually for Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra made it famous. The song was, I Did It My Way. And uh, we, uh, you know, we just, it's one of the most played songs that there is. And you, even when you say it, you can kind of hear the tune, but I did it my way. And, you know, it's, it's a fun song and uh, it's played a lot, but that's not God's way. Actually, I read some interesting stat about the song. It is, catch this, it's the number one song played at funerals in Britain. It's just trivia, <laughs> for whatever it's worth. doesn't mean they're less spiritual or more spiritual. It's just a fact. I did it my way. Well, we don't want to do it. We want to do it God's way. Again, that starts with a reverence, a fear, a worship of God. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. I'm going to read out the Amplified Bible, a few more words in it, but it's really key to get his point here because if we don't have a spiritual interest, the things God's ways just seem foolish. And honestly, people get spiritually blinded. This is what Paul prays. I pray that your eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. He said Satan comes and he blinds them. It's not, they just can't see it. Think about you and I. Before we found the Lord, we just didn't even see it. We didn't even, it didn't even make sense. What the church did and believed, it just was foolishness. It was nonsense to us. But then one day, we saw God for who He was. It's the goodness of God that draws us to Him. The goodness of God leads you to repentance. But one day, our eyes are open, and we thought, wow, God, you are amazing. You know, God's watermark is everywhere. It's on creation. His fingerprint is everywhere you look. And to worship God just means I want to be face-to-face with you. I want to be in a relationship with you. I'm in awe of you. Here Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, but the natural, non-spiritual man does not accept or welcome or admit into his heart the gifts and teachings and revelations of the Spirit of God. And you can think of people that aren't spiritual, and that would, that would describe them. For they are folly to them, meaningless, nonsense to him, and he's incapable of knowing them. 
Now, this is why it's so important we pray for our friends that don't know God and pray that their eyes are open, because when you're open, you go, ah, now it makes sense. He's incapable of knowing them, of progressively recognizing, understanding, becoming more, better acquainted with them because they are spiritually discerned and estimated and appreciated. So that's a big point in my way versus God's way. If we don't have a worship, a fear of God, a reverence for God, a respect for God, of course we won't choose His way. We'll just keep doing it our way. But if we have a worship for God, if we love Him, then we'll want His ways. Now, if our appetite for things in life go unchecked, we'll do it our way. And it robs us of our future. And uh, if you look through the lens of a man, our biggest appetite is food. The way to a man's heart is through his stomach, somebody says. So we're, we're really into food. We're into sleep. We're into sex. And, and, then, and then there's a few other things. But that's kind of the driving force for men. And, well, actually, for all of us. There's other appetites, of course. There's an appetite for being loved. There's an appetite to be recognized. There's an ap- appetite to be accepted. There's, there's appetites that we have. I like Pastor Andy Stanley's message on appetite. And he, he said a couple of things that are really key. He said there's three things we should remember about appetite. One, God created them and sin distorted them. So appetites on their own, they're not bad. They can be distorted by sin, but they're good. God created them. Secondly, appetites, this is important, are never fully and finally satisfied. An appetite always wants more. Even after you eat, a couple hours later, you want some more. Next day you wake up, you want some more. An appetite is never satisfied. It always wants more. We live in a tension of our appetites. We have to constantly, every day, monitor, control our appetites. They always come back. They're always good. Matter of fact, if somebody doesn't have an appetite, we say they're not well. So it's, it's healthy to have an appetite. We live in a tension of keeping them in check. Your appetites, number three, always whisper now, never later. If you're hungry right now, because we are approaching 12 o'clock, your, your appetite is saying, let's get some food right now. And <laughs> Rob, I, I take it you're hungry just like me, yeah. But we have to say, wait a minute, appetite, I'm going to finish church, and I'm going to go for something to eat. Yeah. Appetites whisper now, never later. Now, last week, if you were here, we talked about Jacob. Remember Jacob? Jacob received the blessing of his father. And his brother, his twin brother Esau, cried out, says, oh, I want my father's blessing. And he didn't receive the blessing that was coming his way. Why? Because he sold his birthright. And again, just explain the culture, a little bit different. But in that day, in that time, in the Middle East, the birthright was huge. The oldest son got the birthright. Now, when you got the birthright, it meant that you got double the inheritance. So at the time, the reading of the will, the oldest son, he's really happy. The others aren't so happy, but he's really happy because he gets double everything. Now, there's a reason for it. One of the reasons was the oldest son had to take care of the mother, she's still there. Any unmarried daughters, those were his responsibilities. So there were some reasons why he got double. Responsibility came with it. The other thing that came with it was an authority. There was a patriarchal uh, blessing that was put on the oldest son. He became chief of the tribe. He became head of the house. The family members would come to him to settle a dispute. So that came on that oldest son part of the birthright. And then thirdly, what that son got was just a blessing. The blessing of God was on his life. This was Esau's. He was the firstborn. Not by much, maybe half an hour. He's the older twin, but still he got this blessing, and that was his. It was to be prized. It was to be treasured. 
The deal with Esau is this, and Hebrews talks about it. Esau doesn't have a passion for God. That first point, he didn't have. He doesn't worship God. He doesn't respect God. He marries whoever. He's living a different life. He's very short-sighted. He does not have this passion or eternal perspective or worship of God. So we read in Hebrews 12, 16, it's in your notes. Here it says, watch out for the Esau syndrome. What is that? trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. Another translation says he was profane, he was immoral, he gave away his legacy for a short-term appetite. So, we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 25. We'll read these verses, and then we'll move on. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, so we, we got the pot, Get the picture. He's cooking some stew. I don't know what kind of pot he had, if it was a green handle or red handle, but Jacob is cooking some stew. Esau arrived home exhausted and hungry from a hunt. He's an outdoorsman, and he's a hunter, and he comes back. He's been on this long hunt, and he says to Jacob, I'm starved. Look at that exclamation mark. Give me some of that red stew you've made. So he's cooking up red uh, bean stew. This is how Esau got his name Edom, meaning red. Jacob replied, all right, but trade me your birthright for it. Look, I'm, sti- I'm dying of starvation, exclamation mark, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? So Jacob insisted, well then, swear to me right now that it is mine. Have you ever met, uh, ever seen two brothers, an older brother, younger brother? You know, if that older brother ever needs something from the younger brother, you know what happens? He'll come up to that younger brother, younger brother, I need something from you. And the younger brother, man, this happens so rarely. I'm going to get as much as I can out of this. What does he have that I want? He wants something from me. I'm going to shoot for the moon. I'm going to, I'm going to ask for his car. I'm going to ask for his Xbox, or I'm going to ask for his, his CD collection, his iPod, his iPhone. I'm going to get whatever I can because I may get one crack at this. It's the only time he's come groveling to me, so I'm going to get all I can. And this is Esau with Jacob. Jacob's thinking, man, what can I, oh, I know what I want. Now, Jacob is kind of deceitful, kind of, he was, and he was a trickster. But to his credit, he did have a passion for God. He did have a a bigger perspective, and there was this element of Esau that was a worshiper. And he saw the value of the birthright, which obviously Esau doesn't see. And so, you know the story, he gives his Esau does his birthright to Jacob. So we read, finishing off this passage, so Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as a firstborn to his younger brother. All the rights. Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate and drank and went on about his business, indifferent to the fact that he'd given up his birthright. How many people are indifferent to what they've given up for short-term appetite? Psychologists have discovered there's two things that happen in your brain when your appetites are engaged, or maybe we could say enraged, two things that happen. One is something called impact bias. This is when you seem to think that if a disaster strikes you, it will take longer to recover than it actually does. Or if something happens to you, oh, I'm never going to get over this. And you don't understand there's other events in your life besides that one thing that went bad. Or if a good event, a happy event occurs, like having some red being stew, you overestimate how long you'll benefit from it. Did he benefit from the stew? Yeah, for about an hour or two, and then that's done. Meanwhile, he gave away his birthright, which had had generations of 
impact, legacy, he gave it away. It's an incredible story. And so, I want to do something special this morning. I'm going to ask Patrick to come up here. He has no notice of this. So, this is uh, Patrick. I need you to come up here, and uh, you can be Jacob, all right? Give, give Patrick a big hand. He's going to be our, our Jacob. So, you get the pot, man, and uh, you're making some uh, incredible, incredible red bean stew. And you got all the flavors, the aroma, and, uh, and I, I need to pick... Uh, uh, an Esau for this illustration. And uh, so I'm going to pick Brennan. Brennan, you can be, if we give Brennan a hand, he's going to be our, our Esau. All right. Okay, you can stay right there. You, these guys got, no, this is totally unrehearsed. So we, we are unscripted, unplugged. So I'm not sure what to expect myself. But anyhow, uh, you get to be Jacob making the stew, and you are the hunter Esau. Now, you're tired. You've been out hunting. You've got your bow. You've got your spear or whatever, and you're exhausted. It's like you ran two marathons, and you're just totally wiped, and you're dragging your feet, and your brother, your younger brother, has cooked this amazing stew, and you're going to come up there, and you're going to ask for the stew, and then, of course, you're going to do a little bit of salesmanship here. You'll give it only if he gives you the birthright. So, Okay, you're on. Act one. Here we go. I'm going to jump in in a little late, in a little bit. <laughs> okay, time out, time out, time out. Just stay where you are. Now, we're just going to pretend for a bit that there is a time machine. It's the year 2012. I'm going to be myself back into time, okay? So Scotty's going to beam me up, and then Scotty's going to beam me down. And I'm going to come back in time, and i got, I got to talk to Esau, because I mean, you know he's just making the mistake of his life, right? His appetite's unchecked. This guy needs some help. He gave that up way too easily. Done. So I've got... You just hang back there, Jacob. I'm going to come talk to Esau. Esau, i got to have a word with you. I know you're famished. I know, like, you just, I can hear your stomach growling as I speak to you. But, Jacob, just chill out. <laughs> i got to talk to you. i got to interrupt you for a bit. i got to speak into your life. Esau, you're going to have some, am- <laughs> you're going to have some amazing descendants. And a lot of descendants, and they're going to end up in Egypt. They're going to be taken captive, but they're going to cry out to God. And one of their des- your descendants, his name is Moses, and Moses is going to be this incredible leader, and God's going to speak to him. Now, stay with me. Stay focused. Stay focused, Esau. I'm just going to be here. Yeah. Stay, just stay focused. I know you're hungry, but this is what God's going to say to Moses. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. If you eat that stew... 
You know what God's going to say down the road? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think about it. It's your legacy. Now, more than this, about 2,000 years from now, the Savior will come, and He will redeem mankind. Then there's a guy named Matthew. He's going to write a book about it. It's going to become a bestseller. People are going to read it for generations. And in the first chapter, your name's going to be there in this bestseller because there's an Abraham begot Isaac and Isaac begot Esau. If you eat that stew, it's going to say Isaac begot Jacob. Think about your future. This little bit of stew, you're trading away your future for the short-term gain. Esau. Get your appetite in check. Choose God's way. All right. Give these guys a big hand. (laughs) Great job, guys. Thanks for keeping me on my toes. That was good. So let me ask you this morning, what's your bowl of stew? What are you finding hard to say no to? What would be an area that you would trade away your legacy, your destiny, for a short-term fix on your appetite? Where is it left unchecked? That's a question that God has for all of us this morning. Let me give you some hope. Nobody's going to beam down and interrupt you. Nobody's going to stop and say, what are you doing? Think about it. If you go there with this appetite, Do you know what it's going to do to your marriage? Do you realize what's going to happen to your business? Do you realize what's going to happen? Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to beam down and interrupt you. But I have good news for you. The Holy Spirit will be there. The Holy Spirit will be there. This is why Jesus said, I have sent you the helper to be a comforter. I've sent the Holy Spirit. And I think the Holy Spirit is the best appetite suppressant that there is. If you Google appetite, you'll have a whole list of pages on appetite suppressants. But there is a spiritual remedy for our appetites when they're left unchecked, and that is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that comes because we're a worshiper, because we love God. If we push God away, you won't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit at that time. Very important that we're in fellowship with Him. Look at Romans 8.13. It's there in your notes. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You may not die physically, but your legacy could die. The metal could be stripped your name not there, your legacy stripped from you. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We have no idea what hangs in the balance of our decision if we trade our future for a bowl of stew. Somebody put it this way, reframe. Reframe the situation. What I did for Esau here is I reframed the situation. Think about it, Esau. And then reframe, and then reframe. Careful in what we do. I think God's calling us to, to follow after Him, to put Him first. He asks us to live a holy life. Holiness isn't quirky. It's amazing. It's exciting. My kids put me onto, onto Instagram. And, uh, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so... I'm learning how to do this thing, and 
And I came across something that I read. I said, well, what do, you, what do you put on Instagram? I don't even know what to put on Instagram. They said, well, a quote or a picture, this and that. And so I was reading the other day an article by a pastor from San Diego, Dr. James Garlow. And, and he had this to say. And I was reflecting on it in light of all that's happening this weekend and the times the church has missed it and we haven't been what we could be. He had this to say. That is our hope of restoring and bringing healing to our culture. We have to engage the culture. Now, no more sleeping through the earthquakes. Earthquakes, he talked about, were times where the church di- didn't do anything. We were just asleep. No more apathy. No more holier-than-thou attitudes toward the people we're called to reach. We have to be willing to lay down our lives and our feelings. We must show them the love of Jesus, listen to them, and be kind. That doesn't mean we affirm their beliefs or sinful lifestyles, but it does mean we have to change our approach and adapt to their way of communicating. Then we must transcend the culture. We must live holy. Holiness is not condemning. Holiness is the character of Christ. Holiness is a life led by the Spirit, bearing His fruit, attracting the lost who want to cast off their chains. God's calling us to live a holy life, to choose His way over our way, and to leave a legacy. And so this morning, God's calling us. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.